This is what the Bible tells us. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may take my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's bow together. Lord, will you in these next few moments teach us of you of your faithfulness. Will you teach us of your grace? Will you pour out your precious Holy Spirit upon us? And we ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, earlier we had uh, three sets of parents take some vows right in front of you, in front of some of their families, and before the community here. And then you who responded also took a vow. Now, maybe I should have read this first, but I want to read to you what the Bible says about vows. Back in Numbers chapter 30, it shows the seriousness of them. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Why do we even take oaths? Why do we take vows? Well, the reason from a Christian perspective that we do, and, and it's, it's kind of filtered out in, into the world that we live in as well, but from a Christian perspective, the reason we take vows is because we sin and sometimes don't tell the truth. 
And so that ought not to be the case. Our yes should be yes. Our no should be no. But there are times, in fact, our Westminster Confession of Faith says this is when oaths are appropriate only in matters of weight and moment. You say, what's that mean? Well, you know what a weighty matter is, and moment would be a momentous time. So those are the only times really that we we ought to, to take vows. For us, vows are only as valuable as the one who takes it when in his heart he has every intention of keeping it before God. By the way, we see God making an oath as well. And it's not because he sometimes doesn't tell the truth. It is condescending to us, to our understanding, when he takes his oath. Now, when it comes to uh, baptism, i got to tell you, I've been used plenty of times in my ministry. Never knowingly on my part, but there have been couples that, looking back, I can see all they wanted was to somehow get their baby baptized, and, but when it came to the, the vows themselves, there was no follow-through, no effort to follow through. And I'm sad to say they will have to account before God for those. So today, for all of our benefit, we're going to look at the vows that have been taken. Many of you in this room have taken these same vows pertaining to your children. So it's an opportunity to renew or reaffirm them as you hear them again. But I want to tell you this, because I don't, I don't want you to tune out if you say, well, we don't have any children, or we didn't get our children baptized, so we didn't take those vows, or I'm not even a believer, so this doesn't pertain to me. I want to tell you this, that, that these vows... And where we're going with this this message has application for every single person in this room. There goes my latest grandchild. (laughs) I just met her before the service. If this uh, service wasn't emotional enough, and and I had met my next to latest just this week, so... uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a, an amazing week for us in seeing God's covenant faithfulness. So there is application in this. So I want you to, you know, whether you just kind of, as I said earlier, kind of stumbled in and said, let's go visit this church, and you go, oh, no, you know. Well, it's okay. I want you to stick with us here. And uh, let's take a look 
at what was said earlier. The first question is, do you acknowledge? And by the way, it's in your worship guide, so you can take a look at them as well as the Scripture underpinnings. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? When you say, I do to that, you are saying this, my child is a sinner and needs Jesus. Now, some of you are going, what? Did you see those little girls? I mean, it's not like they are boys or something. You look at their faces, and they're, they're, they're all beautiful. And to have three girls this time. But what a great illustration of why, why this is important. Why do we need to affirm right off the bat that my child here is a sinner and needs Jesus. Well, because the Bible does. Now, I think it's especially good for us to see them at this point because if you've had children or ever been around children, which includes everyone in this room, it's not very long before you quit wondering whether they're sinners or not. <laughs> Even those little girls will look you in the eye and defy. And, and you tend to think, where did that come from? We didn't teach her that. We didn't teach him that. What in the world? Where is this rebellious spirit that all of a sudden showed up? So, the scripture says this in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So here, from the Christian perspective, this is, and, and we have to take this by faith. There's, there's no way uh, to, to prove it or to demonstrate it. But what this is saying is, there at the moment of conception is a soul. And that soul is lost. Is that cruel for me to say that? Well, it would be cruel if I was basing this on my own opinion. But that's not the end of the story. And the beauty of it is why it's not cruel because it leads us to the glory of the gospel. So we see that from that moment, and then we read over in Ephesians, in the New Testament, Ephesians 2.2, 2, and it talks about in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. Here's the description. In the sons of disobedience. That's... That's describing those outside of Christ. 
And by the way, if, if, if you're, you're here and you haven't come to Christ yet, this is an application for you. This is, this is really for all of those before they're in Christ. And then in Ephesians 2.3, it says, And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. These three beautiful little girls outside of Christ are children of wrath. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis calls uh, the girls daughters of Eve and the boys sons of Adam. And that's the problem. We are all descended from Adam. And that's why at the moment of conception that we are children of wrath. That's why we are conceived in sin, born in iniquity. So there is that. It's, that's, that's our nature. So that's what we do naturally. But then there comes a point where it's not just our nature, but we actually sin. Now, at least as far as I could tell, I don't, none of them have outwardly sinned. Even crying in church. If you can't cry in church, where can you cry? <laughs> and so, there comes that time, though, when there is actual sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's the point that we made when we were studying through the book of, of Romans. We sin because we are sinners, not the other way around. It's not that we become sinners once we sin, but our nature is that of, of sin, and that's why sin comes out of us. So what we were saying is without the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, our child's identity remains as children of wrath. With the blood of Jesus Christ, our child is a child of the living God. You see? So how far from being cruel that is, it leads us to the glorious work of Jesus on the cross. And so application-wise, if you find yourself here, and by the way, if, if you did, I keep using that word, just, just happen into our church today, there's no such thing as that. You're here because God wanted you to be here. And so there's something here for you, and if you're outside of Christ, understand that's, that's exactly where you are. Your identity is a child of wrath, but you don't have to stay there. The second question then, do you claim God's covenant promises in her behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own and what that's saying is this, I am trusting in Christ for my eternal life, and I trust God with my child's soul. I'm trusting in Christ for my eternal life, 
and I trust God with my child's soul. So when we talk about covenant promises, we need to go back to where they were first given. And I I read earlier from Genesis 17, where he says, verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. By the way, everlasting covenant. And he hasn't said that's no longer true. Everlasting covenant means everlasting when it comes from the faithful God. So we, we see that in the Old Testament in Genesis, and right after that, they are given a sign which happened to be circumcision for uh, Abraham and for his sons. This is a sign that I will be your God. And you say, what a strange sign. And yet we will see that that sign which was was uh, uh, cleansing by way of removal, a bloody sign. It changes in the New Testament. After the cross, where Jesus' blood was shed to a bloodless sign. So we fast forward to the New Testament, keeping that promise in mind that, that the Jews of that day would have spoken over and over how... Our God will establish his covenant between us and he will be our God and to our offspring after us. In Acts chapter 2, then this great uh, message on the, uh, the day of Pentecost. And here's, here's where that message goes. Here's the application. For the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself almost a direct quote from Genesis 17. So here, what must we do to be saved? What do we do? Believe and be baptized. That's what they were told. In the Old Testament, for Abraham, it would have been believe and be circumcised, you and your sons. Fast forward, and baptism takes the place of circumcision. So in Acts 16.31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Here's how uh, our, uh, our denomination's Book of Church Order puts it. It's a great statement, so I want to read uh, part of it to you. That promise is made to believers and their children... And that the children of believers have an interest in the covenant. They have a right to it. And a right to the seal of it. And to the outward privileges of the church. Under the gospel. No less than the children of Abraham in the time of the Old Testament. Because the covenant of grace for substance is the same. And the grace of God and the consolation of believers. It's more plentiful than before. So here's, here's what that's saying. Here's the point. The Old Testament believers were told, I will be a God to you and to your children. Here's a sign that you should remember it. Believe and be circumcised, you and your sons. In the New Testament, this promise is for you and your children. 
believe and be baptized? Are we to believe that under the new and better and more inclusive covenant, our children are now left out of the promises? I I don't believe that for a moment. Because as a parent, if if you told me, you know, we've had these promises, you know, for a long time, but now it's different. Your children are no longer included. I would say... That's not a better covenant. That's a worse covenant. It's a narrower covenant. Where instead we see the new and better covenant in the New Testament. And so even the sign that they receive is new and better. It is bloodless and it is for male and female. Why is that? Because in the New Testament, we read in Galatians 3, in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, and you are all one in Christ. And all of you, all of you can receive the sign of the covenant, which is baptism. There is a phrase in there where it says, we look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own. Do you do that? Now, I want to make it clear. That's not saying that we can say, yes, I will make that decision and now they're saved. But what it's saying is, yes, her only hope for salvation is the same as my only hope for salvation, which is trusting in Christ alone. For eternal life. Here the emphasis is that what the reason that is said is that these promises are only for believers. In our church, uh, we say at least one parent has to be a, a member of the church. Um, now these these were all members, but at least one parent has to be. And and here's here's why. Uh, because that means they have that, that at least that parent has professed their faith in Christ, so they are entitled to these promises for themselves and for their children. But through my ministry, I have on uh, a number of occasions had people from the community who usually they look at baptism differently. They look at it maybe more magical, like some of the things I said earlier, or. This will somehow protect my child. And they, they come to me and they say, will you baptize my baby? Here's how I, I deal with that. I say, I would love to baptize your baby. But I know you don't want to be a hypocrite. And I know you don't want to make me a hypocrite. And so far, I've never had anyone say, oh, I got no problem with that, you know. (laughs) I I know that you don't want to be a hypocrite, and there are vows that are taken that have to do with faith. So I would love to baptize your baby. Here's what we need to do. I want you to start coming to the church. And then when we have an inquirer's class, I want you to go through the inquirer's class. And then... If you're trusting in Christ, I want you to join the church and then we will baptize your baby. And I found that really purifies whether they really want to do that 
Sometimes that means they go down the road to another church that will do it the next Sunday. And that's okay. But we are convinced that, uh, that, that it is believers who are entitled to these, these wonderful promises. There is a, a third vow. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will pray with and that you will, sorry, endeavor to set before her a godly example, that you will pray with her and for her, that you will teach her the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And here's what, what you're saying when you say, I do. I will seek to live a consistently godly life before my child and bring them up in the church and in the faith. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there is never a point where the parent of a covenant child is without responsibility. It's not the the church's job to raise your child in the faith or to put faith into your child. It's not our children's ministry job. It's not our youth ministry's job. It is the parent's job. And it is for us as a church and children's ministry and youth ministry to supplement and to equip and to be teaching the same kinds of things they are learning at home. So here's some application. You as a congregation, many of you took this vow. Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child. And many of you uh, raised your hand in that. And you have heard, <coughs> you have heard that, uh, that, that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, we would say it this way. It takes a covenant community to make disciples to raise a child in the faith. And so, you have taken that vow that, that parents, you need to know this, and this was so precious to us when we didn't have any, any parents around and it was just us and our children and no extended family. And, and I, I would look out at the congregation when they would take that vow and, and I knew, you know, kids, you do have... You do have a family here. You've got aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, even though ours were far away at the time. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, let me, let me bring one more application in here, and that is uh, from the Westminster Larger Catechism. It asks the question, how is our baptism to be improved by us? And it begins this way. The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long. And then there's a long answer that could be a whole sermon series in itself. Things that we are to do. And maybe you've never even heard that phrase, improving our baptism. Because here's the point of that. 
We know that with the Lord's Supper, we take it again and again, and we remember and we renew our commitment to the Lord and we repent and so on. But with baptism, if we're not careful, uh, because it's a one-time thing, we only baptize one time, just like you could only circumcise once, you only baptize once, okay? But that doesn't mean you're pass- to be passive during the baptism. The confession says we are to seek to improve our baptism. So when we are in temptation, we are to remember again, I, I am one of his, and I bear his mark upon me. When we are in a trial, when we have sinned and need forgiveness, when we, when we need assurance of our forgiveness, we need to remember that we have the mark of Christ on us. When I was in my previous church, um, I had the practice that I still have here, and that is that when somebody would have surgery, I would, I, would, I would go and be there and pray with them when they got to the hospital and so on. And, and many times, uh, that's very, very early in the morning. So one morning, I was driving up into Atlanta uh, from Fayetteville, where the church was, and it was still dark, and I had on a white shirt like this, and uh, I hadn't had breakfast or anything. It was, it was very early, but I did have coffee. And so, as I'm driving up into Atlanta, I went to take a sip of my coffee, and, and somehow the hole wasn't down at the bottom. It was on the side there. And so, I spilt coffee right here, black coffee right here, Okay. Now, I was almost to the hospital. I didn't have another shirt. I decided I'm not going to walk in there without a shirt on. <laughs> and so I only had one choice at that point, and that was to walk in there with a big brown spot here. Now, I was there for several hours, and I, distinct, I was so self-conscious you know, I had to explain, of course, to the patient. They didn't care and, and that kind of thing. But as I walked down the hallway and, and I would come upon somebody, you know, they would catch your eye and then immediately it would go right here. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted to say, hey, I'm up here, you know. <laughs> well, uh, so that mark, that mark was on me. You have heard me say before that, that I, I thought, wouldn't, what would change if when we baptize, if there was some kind of a permanent mark we put right here? Something that showed forever. So that, how would our lives change? How, how much more careful would we be if when we were out in public, we knew that everybody that looked at us knew he belongs to Christ, she belongs to Christ. Now, that's not the sign that he chose. But I believe that's what we are to live as if. To seek to improve our baptism. And so today, as as we have considered the vows, I want to encourage you to live as one who has been set apart. One who's been cleansed and redeemed and saved 
for eternity and go from here with a, a grateful heart for the high cost of that mark paid for by the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to be a, a people of, of vows that would seek to be faithful by your grace to those vows that we have taken. Will you once again, Lord, bless these parents and all others who have taken these vows. And will you help us to know our only hope, our only hope, and that of our children is in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.